We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 648 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, September 4th, 2023. It is Labor Day, 2023. And yet here we are laboring for you with a show. Uh, Hopefully you yourself are not laboring. Maybe you're in labor. If so, hey, good luck with that. Uh, But Labor Day weekend, the last weekend in which we do not have NFL regular season games or playoff games until February, and the weekend on which the college football season truly gets going. How about Dion? Huh? How about primetime? (laughs) How about Colorado head coach and former Redskins corner Deion Sanders. How come nobody ever refers to Deion as a former Skins player? How come with all of the national attention that Deion has gotten these last few days, I haven't heard anyone refer to him as former Skins corner? He is, you know, a former Skins player. He played for the team in the 2000 season. Yes, uh, it was just that one season. And yes, that season isn't fondly remembered. But still, he is a former Skins player. In fact, he wore number 21. The number that, of course, eventually became famous as safety Sean Taylor's number. But what a job by Dion in his debut as Colorado head coach. A 45-42 win at number 17 TCU on Saturday afternoon. Coach Prime doing what he does, talking big and backing up that talk. Hello and welcome to this Labor Day Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What, oh what, will we be saying one week from today off the Commander's regular season opener? Home to the Arizona Cardinals this Sunday afternoon at 1. What is going to happen? What is the conversation on the following Monday show going to be like? Well, I can tell you what the Commander's conversation on this Labor Day Monday show is. A chat with my good friend, Kevin Sheehan, the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. Next segment, a preview with Kevin 
of the Commanders 2023 regular season. We will talk about the momentum from the sale of the team carrying into the regular season. We will talk a lot about quarterback Sam Howell. We will talk Commanders offensive line. We will talk Commanders defense. We will talk about Ron Rivera. Is this, in fact, his final season as Washington head coach? Kevin Sheehan, next segment for an in-depth preview of the Commander's 2023 regular season. Additionally, I have a college football segment for you, breakdowns of Maryland's season opening 38-6 win over Towson on Saturday, Virginia's season opening 49-13 loss to number 12 Tennessee in Nashville on Saturday afternoon, and Virginia Tech's 36-17 win over Old Dominion on Saturday night. And I will discuss the weekends that were for the Nationals and Orioles. A brutal weekend for the Nats. Uh, They lost the final three games of a four-game series against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park to end up being swept in the four-game series and to fall to 6-26 against the Marlins over the last two regular seasons. Yeah, you heard that right. Six and 26. Uh, Starting pitcher Josiah Gray on Sunday afternoon had yet another bad outing. And we on Saturday morning learned of a major departure from the Nats front office. Very interesting given that we are still waiting on this contract extension for Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo, uh, the American League leading O's. Uh, They had a good weekend. They won two or three games at the Arizona Diamondbacks behind more good work from the Orioles' young stars, infielder Gunnar Henderson, catcher Adley Rutschman, and starting pitcher Kyle Bradish. And speaking of the Orioles' young stars, uh, some big Orioles news was a percolating on Sunday night. Multiple reports that the O's are promoting shortstop Jackson Holiday from Double A Bowie to Triple A Norfolk. Jackson Holiday, the number one prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. So on this show, Commanders, Maryland football, Virginia football, Virginia Tech football, Nationals and Orioles, all covered extensively. Never forget the mantra of this podcast. We follow Washington, D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. Hey, following sports is work. Let us do the work for you. Uh, You could tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Ashea regarding a tweet that I read on this past Friday show, episode 647. The tweet was about the Costco in Frederick, Maryland, having a bunch of Pittsburgh Steelers merchandise as opposed to Commander's merchandise. The tweet included a photo of the Costco featuring a bunch of Steelers and Baltimore Ravens hoodies, but no Commander's hoodies. And again, uh, this was at the Costco in Frederick, Maryland. (laughs) Uh, Writes Ashea, Galdi on Commander's merch. I live in Atlanta now, but was just in town in August, and we went to the Sam's Club in Clinton, Maryland. And Sam's only had Ravens merch. I was ticked off. PG County and no Commander's merch? I expected to pick up something unique. Hashtag SMH. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Ashea. That is something. Not stunning, because we know that Prince George's County has increasingly become Ravens territory, but the Commander's Stadium, (laughs) FedEx Field, is in PG County. Can't the Sam's Club in PG County at least have Commander's merch and... Ravens merch, especially considering that the Commander's QB1 now is named Sam, right? Sam Howell. And uh, arguably the greatest player in the history of the franchise is named Sam, quarterback Sammy Ball. And 
one of the greatest defensive players <laughs> in the history of the franchise. A legendary broadcaster for the team was linebacker Sam Huff. And one of the greatest physical specimens in NFL history, tight end Samus Reyes, began his NFL career with Washington. Okay, the career didn't last for long, but that's not the point. Our team has a tremendous history with the name Sam, and yet the team's getting dissed by the Sam's Club in Peachy County. Go figure. Uh, seriously, though, the infiltration of Ravens fandom into what had been Redskins territory is an issue that the Josh Harris group is going to have to combat. Uh, Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, of course, are two different markets, but there certainly is some overlapping between the two markets, and there certainly are Maryland counties that feature a good number of fans of both teams. And one of those counties has become PG County. Heck, even Montgomery County has Ravens fans now. Email from Philip C., the MD, on something that I talked about on last Tuesday's show, episode 644. Ron Rivera admitting that he should have played Sam Howell sooner in the 2022 regular season, uh, said Ron to NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB in a piece that came out last Monday morning, August 28th. And this was Ron relaying something that he said to his wife, Stephanie, in the car on the way home from uh, Sam's impressive NFL regular season debut in the 26-6 win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in week 18 of last season. Quote, F, if I would have known this, I would have played him sooner, end quote. Writes Phillip, Goldie, loving the podcast as always, while listening to your take on Rod Rivera, not knowing about Howell's potential, I couldn't help but laugh in agreement. I also couldn't get the following soundbite out of my head as it fits Rivera's role so perfectly. And then Philip in his email includes a link to one of the great lines from one of the great movies of the last 25 years, Office Space. Here you go. What, what would you say? you do here. Yeah, the two Bobs sitting at the table and one of the Bobs says, what would you say you do here? Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails, the top two people in the uh, commander's new ownership, the Josh Harris group, are they with Ron Rivera <laughs> eventually going to be like the two Bobs in office space? And is Ron going to be like the guy Tom in office space. Tom was the guy to whom the two Bobs were speaking. Uh, will Josh and Mitch say to Ron, hey, you're the head coach in a coach-centric approach. If I would have known this, I would have played him sooner. Hey, pal, it's your job to know. What, what would you say you do here? Yeah, what would you say you do here? Exactly. So if Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails are the two Bobs and Ron Rivera is Tom, who's Bill Lumber? I mean, Lumberg is one of the great characters in Office Space, one of the great characters in any movie over the last 25 years. Who is Bill Lumberg in this scenario? Is that Jason Wright? <laughs> is uh, team president Jason Wright, Bill Lumberg in this scenario? Something to think about. Well, we hope that you never have to think about any harm that you have suffered or someone who you care about has suffered, but always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. Paulson and Nace will fight for you and your family in a way that no other law firm will. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. 
Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Uh, Chris Nace in May was named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Chris in July was elected as the parliamentarian of the American Association for Justice. And both Chris and Matt Nace in August were recognized by Best Lawyers in America for 2024. Why? Well, Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial and That's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandace.com. That's paulsonandace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long. can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews do help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. The Commander's 2023 regular season opener is officially sold out. Uh, The team made that announcement this past Friday morning. This is the first sellout of a regular season game at FedEx Field in which the overwhelming majority of fans are expected to be fans of the home team. And who knows how long uh, the records of this stuff aren't exactly clear. But what is clear is that we now officially are in a regular season game week for the Commanders. They will begin their 2023 regular season with this sold-out game against the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1, the first regular season game for the team since it was sold. From Dan and Tanya Snyder, remember them, (laughs) to the Josh Harris Group uh, in a sale that was completed this past July 21st. Uh, The game will begin the fourth regular season for the team with Rod Rivera as its head coach and the first regular season for the team with Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator and Sam Howell as QB1. Will Sam give Washington truly good quarterback play over the course of a season for the first time since uh, you-know-who left. (laughs) Uh, A man with whom I, over the years, have had many conversations about you-know-who and about our team (laughs) is the man who joins me now, Kevin Sheehan, the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast and the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980. You can follow him on Twitter, on X, 
at Kevin Sheehan DC. Are you still saying Twitter or are you now saying X? I don't say X. I still say Twitter, and I don't even like saying Twitter. I mean, <laughs> I, I think you and I are somewhat similar in that if we didn't have to or if we didn't feel like it was helpful to what we do to be on social media, we probably wouldn't be. Not that I wouldn't have an account because I do find it to be a pretty good news source, you know, and a a fast and, and timely news source. But, you know, um, other than that, you can have it. Yeah, the wacko factor is uh, rather high. <laughs> right. By the way, you know, you just said, um, and I... I've talked about this because uh, I know Jason Wright, I guess, in his interview the other day with JP and Brian Mitchell uh, kind of implied that this game is the first sellout since like 2012. That's not true. It might be the first sellout with mostly Washington fans, but not since 2012. Like, um, I, I remember, you know, first of all, the 2013 opener against Philly with, with RG3, the all-in for week one. But I remember that Oakland Sunday night game um, in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a massive crowd. I think that may have been a sellout for that particular um, game against the Raiders on Sunday night. Uh, and certainly they sold out the playoff game against the Packers, right? Had to. I would think. I mean, the official paid attendance for that game was 81,000-plus. There were a lot of Packer fans that day, though. I was at that game. There were a lot of Packer fans. There were. Again, the idea is that this Sunday, for the first time in a long time, we are going to have a sellout of a regular season game at FedEx Field in which the overwhelming majority of fans are expected to be fans of the home team. That is significant, as pathetic as that sounds. So, You, over the years, have talked about how your passion for the team has dissipated, but you recently have talked about how, off the sale of the team, you are getting some of the passion back. Where would you say that you are in terms of excitement for the team's upcoming regular season? Um, I'm definitely more into it than I have been in a long time. I mean, when I say a long time, I would say since you know who left. <laughs> since since the day that, that Bruce Allen held that press conference to announce and throw our you know who under the bus, that's when I essentially said, you know what, you guys are just losers, and it's never ever going to work. And I think that was finally the realization. Although I I, I know I I had had that realization a couple of times before then, but um. I'm excited for the idea that it can become really important again. You know, it's always been important to a certain number of people. And, you know, there's always been the prospect that if they, you know, win some games and they're competitive, it'll be, it'll be, you know, good. But in more, in recent years, it was more about what's good for me. And what's good for me would be for them to be good and competitive. It'd be good for you too. But I, I just didn't think it would happen. And, and with Dan there, but with Dan gone, I am excited. I'm excited about Josh Harris. Um, he's really going back to that press conference and I forget whether or not that Monday night thing was, was, you know, awkward. Nobody, not everybody's great in that environment, but I really feel like he is, um, He's a worker, and he gets what needs to be done. You know, it's a tough league to win in, as we know. 
to, to, to have sustained winning in. But I kind of feel like right now, even though the honeymoon will be forever, I, I, I have this feeling that we're not going to need a long honeymoon, that within the next you know year, two years, there's going to be obvious indications that they've got a real organization and that they're, you know, they've got a chance. This immense jubilation that we as fans of the team have been in the midst of since the sale, including the great attendance at training camp practices and then the very solid attendance at the two preseason games at FedEx Field and now this week one sellout, we knew that there would be joy of Dan Snyder selling the team, but the extent of the joy, are you at all surprised by that or is this about what you expected? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. I mean, I, I remember um, I actually thought that the Arizona game would have a legitimate chance of selling out. And I, I really felt like it would be the celebratory event. You know, the preseason games aren't, but they had good crowds anyway. Um, but yeah, I I think it is where it is. Look, Al, we're not going to know. The, 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 the opener is a little bit of a, a one-off We'll see what happens after that. You know, you and I like looking at things that are actually more reflective of, of the true audience size, and that's things like television ratings. And I know they're not as important as they used to be, but you still have a, f- a fraction of the people that potentially are interested in watching or paying attention to the team are actually at the game. You know, many, many more aren't at the game. So we'll see what that is because that number's dropped, you know, so in, in such a big way in the last uh, several years. Uh, and we'll see if it's sustainable. I think the Arizona game is a big game. They have this incredible, as you described it, this jubilation, this feel-good momentum, and the train is hurling down the tracks. And if you lose to Arizona, it's not going to derail the train because I think everybody's thrilled that Dan's gone and understands there's a long game here. You know, uh, but it would definitely halt the train in its tracks for a period of time and it would hurt them in terms of their short-term business goals like you beat arizona and you beat them comfortably and the, it, they, they continue to sell you know more corporate sponsorships and more people are interested and more people get interested imagine a 31 to 10 season opening win with sam howe going you know 19 for 25 232 yards and three touchdowns you know, um, and they look really good. Um, but no, I, I, to answer your question, it's kind of, I think, where I thought it would be. And um, But I don't know how long it'll be that way unless they just really play well. It's a long game more than it is a short game, I guess. You understand sports betting as well as anyone I know. This prevailing commanders over under win total for the 2023 regular season of just six and a half seems low, which of course makes you worry because the odds makers know what they're doing. Why so low? And would you play the over? Well, the number's about the quarterback. I mean, that's that's 80 to 90 percent of why their total is so low. You know, the third, you know, tied for the second lowest total in the NFC. I think only Arizona has a lower total. There are other teams at six and a half, like Atlanta and Carolina, and maybe somebody else. 
but it's it's Sam Howell. The the odds makers don't know anything about Sam Howell, and they're not sure about whether or not Washington has a quarterback. That's what it's about, and and the rest of it is probably about the division they're in, the schedule they have, um, and uh, but it's it's about Sam Howell. Now, as far as what I would do, I I think. This team last year to win eight games with Taylor Heineke as the primary quarterback, that says to me that they're going to have a chance to win more than six games, even if Sam Howell isn't that good. Um, Because they were not good. You know this. They weren't good offensively. They were not good at the quarterback position. And they they won eight games. The defense is outstanding. They have added potentially some playmaking ability on the back end. Chase Young's one of those mysteries. We'll see whether or not he can have a bounce back year. I'm, I'm hopeful um, that would provide them with something they didn't have on a really good defense last year, which is maybe a really good pass rusher. Um, their offensive weaponry is first rate. And the offensive line was terrible last year. So, I think over makes sense other than the contrarian in me, which says don't touch it um, because they're begging you to take the over. But they won eight games last year with bad offense and bad quarterback play. Um, how can't they win seven plus this year? So I, if you forced me to play it, I'd play the over. Much more with Kevin Sheehan in moments. I'm going to next ask him about Sam Howell, uh, who hopefully is about to be great. And if you have a big event that you're planning and you want that event to go great, know that Catering by Uptown can handle your needs. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations, and Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Uh, Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a 1,000 delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, Also know this, Catering by Uptown has job openings for the event waitstaff. No experience is necessary and you get paid in-house training. This is a great opportunity if you're looking for work. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now with my good friend Kevin Sheehan, the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. So regarding Sam Howell, obviously, if he's good from the get-go, that's great. But if he struggles early, how long of a leash do you think that Ron Rivera will have for Sam, given that Ron pretty clearly is coaching for his job? Well, I don't even know, Al, if it's Ron's leash. I mean, I just think Eric Bieniemy has an incredible amount of autonomy. I think he does. And I think he'll be 
very um, much involved in any kind of decision if it comes to that. Context is everything. I mean, if they're losing games but he's showing promise, then you let him play. Because we know that Jacoby Bursett's upside isn't a franchise quarterback. But we don't know anything about Sam Howell. So from my standpoint, I've, I've been saying this all along, I would not give him 17 games. I think that's absurd. If it turns out that he really isn't very good, which, by the way, that possibility still exists in my mind, regardless of what people think about the preseason results, um, if it becomes obvious to Eric Bieniemy and to Ken Zampezi and to Ron Rivera, yeah, this is a project, and there's no guarantee that it'll return something, you know, in the form of an NFL starting quarterback. You've got too good of a team to let this season die. Now, some would say let it die because Caleb Williams and Drake May are out there, you know, in the next draft. But I just don't think they're bad enough. On defense, they're too good on defense to lose less than five games, which is what would be required to win less than five games, which is what would be required to sort of be in, in the hunt for number one or number two overall. So it's to me, it's about, is he showing promise? Is he showing something, even if it's up and down and inconsistent? If his good is really good, um, and his, even if his bad is really bad, I'd let it play out. But if it's obvious to them and maybe all of us, there's not a, a – this is a major project and there is more likely than not not a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, then I, I, I would try to win games. I know that you haven't been like uber bullish on Sam Howell, but off what we saw from him over the two games in which he played in the 2023 preseason, do you feel more optimistic about him or are you not putting much stock in those games? Well, I'm not putting any stock into what he did in the preseason games other than he looked the part and he had a lot of poise. So I, 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 I'll put some stock into that. It's not that I'm not uber optimistic about Sam. I'm not anything about Sam. I was not the biggest fan of him coming out because I didn't think he was a great decision maker at the college level. I thought there was a lot of forced throws. I thought there were a lot of sacks that were taken that didn't need to be taken. But he has talent. He's got by all accounts, he's got the head for it. He's got the heart for it. He's got the makeup. Like, he's coachable. He, it's, it matters to him. It's important to him. He's got work ethic. Everybody seems to like him. Um, the arm strength is there. The mobility is there. He's got a skill set that kind of fits today's game. It'd be great if you were two or three inches taller, obviously, but, you know, you can't fix that. I just don't know what to think of Sam Howell. And I am not basing anything off of the game that I watched at the end of the regular season last year. I thought he played well, but I thought he played well in an environment that really wasn't, you know, typical regular season NFL football. The Washington's game uh, was meaningless. And it's funny, I have, um, and I've got this interview ready to go on Monday's show with the guy that I really like out of Dallas, who Cowboy fans love. Mickey Spagnuolo's covered the team for years. And he was talking about uh, the game at the end of last year. And I said, 
what did you guys make of that game? Were, did you feel like you, you play, did the team played that game as a meaningful game? And he said, no. He said they never thought Philadelphia would lose to the Giants. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. And that's the way I viewed that game. It looked like the Cowboys were almost borderline disinterested. So I'm not taking that Cowboy game and saying, oh, my God, like Ron did in the interview with Albert Breer. We said, I had no idea until I saw him against the Cowboys. To me, he has not played a real true you know everybody's trying to win nfl game yet and until you see guys in that environment you don't know i'm hopeful though he's got good arm strength he's got good release he's uh, uh, he's mobile he extends plays i think there's a chance he's better than what they've had since you know who yeah and as you know you know who was a day three pick so our team hit on him as a day three quarterback perhaps that can happen again with Sam Howell. The list since 2010 is Dak, Kirk, and that's it. Unless you want to throw Purdy in there at this point. That's the list out of 74 quarterbacks, or 80-some quarterbacks taken on day three. But again, it doesn't matter anymore. That's just to assess how long of a shot it is. It doesn't mean it can't happen. So now, you know, it doesn't matter now. He's out there playing, and he's getting the opportunity because a lot of those day three guys never got a chance. And some would say, well, that's why they they never became quarterbacks because they never got the chance. There may be some truth to that. The commander's offensive line last season was really bad. What do you think the line will be in the 2023 regular season? I don't know, but I'm worried about Wiley. That's the. I'm worried about the tackles more than the interior. I think Gates is a competitive animal. I think Cosme's really good. Like I think he could be a really good guard. And I thought you know Sadiq Charles, uh, you know, in that game against Baltimore actually looked good. I thought Lucas, by the way, when he uh, played for Leno, played okay. But the, to me, the tackles are the are the concern and. Do you have a quarterback? Do you have an offensive coordinator who can scheme around offensive line weaknesses? We'll see. Uh, But I'm not confident about the offensive line. It was a disaster last year. But I do like the – I like Cosme, and I think we're going to like Gates. The commander's defense, there, of course, are a lot of reasons to be bullish about the defense. At the same time, it's hard not to think about the last time that there was a bunch of optimism with a Washington defense, the 2021 season. Uh, That defense ended up being a big disappointment. To whatever extent a defense in today's NFL can be bust-proof, how bust-proof is this commander's defense? Well, in today's NFL, there's not, nothing um, uh, that you can say is bust-proof when it comes to defense because everything favors the offense and the way the game's played is offensively. And if they end up having to face what they had to face in 2021, you know, um, Herbert and Allen and Mahomes and Rodgers and Wilson and, you know, Brady, and I'm forgetting even the others. Well, in the division, Dak um, twice. And, you know, that was a big part of 2021. Um, And then, uh, 
you, you don't know. I mean, you, you look at it. Um, I'm just pulling it up right now. They have Josh Allen early. They have Jalen Hurts twice. They have, you know, they, but they also, they, they have Geno Smith. Who knows? They, later in the year, obviously, they've got two in that up Miami offense. They've got the Jet offense. They've got the 49er offense. Nothing's foolproof in today's NFL, but man, they've got good players on defense. They really do have good players on defense. This is why, and I don't know if you've talked about this because you and I have talked about this um, kind of off the air. But when Ron, like in the off season, said we're going to focus on a rebuild now, I was like, "What are you talking about? You've been focused on rebuilding. You've been doing a pretty good job. So take some credit." For the players that you've added, and by the way, the players you retained, because the best players in the team were here when he got here, but he had to re-sign them. You know, he had to re-sign Terry and John and Duran. But, I mean, I think Montez Sweat and Payne and Allen and hopefully Chase Young, although there's a question mark there, um, Curl and Forrest and Forbes and St. Juice is a player that I love. I think we're going to love Cody Barton this year. And Jamin Davis certainly has the athleticism. Um, it's a good personnel defense. And I think it's well coached. And they're in their third, you know, third year for most of them, fourth year for some of them in this system, but really kind of the second year in a lot of what Jack put in last year with the zone matching stuff um, in coverage, but in the five man front. But I, I think it's got a chance to be a great defense. I hope it has a chance to create takeaways, more takeaways, because that's been the weakness for kind of several years running. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons they drafted Emmanuel Forbes, and they're hopeful that Chase Young can be a factor this year as well. But you know, some of it just has to do with who they play, when they play them, and how good those teams are offensively, because offenses are tough to stop in the NFL, even with great defense. Big season for edge defender Chase Young, a contract season for Chase off the team in the 2023 offseason, not exercising the fifth-year option in his rookie contract. We'll see if he's able to play in week one off this stinger that he suffered in the preseason opening win at the Cleveland Browns. But specific to Chase and Ron Rivera, uh, we know that there has been a disconnect. Hopefully, that's a thing of the past. Are they now on the same page? So I talked about this on my uh, podcast the other day. Um, I, you know, I was, I, I was told that he had this big doctor's appointment for this stinger and that there's some concern, but, you know, they're hopeful. They're hopeful that it'll get cleared and they'll start practicing next week. But at the same time, this person told me he's been great this summer. Like everybody's thrilled with how, um, you know, how he's been, you know, Montez Sweat said something. I'm going to paraphrase it here. You might remember the quote directly. It was like two weeks ago when, when he was asked about Chase Young, he basically said he's really more of a pro or more professional this summer. And that's really telling, you know, for, for those that, you know, haven't known and We've all talked about it, you know, that those of us that have, you and me and everybody else in, in local media have known that it was much more with Chase Young than the injury, you know, and Ron started to talk about some of that stuff, you know, and imply some of that stuff long before the injury in 2021. This needed to be a year in which A, he was healthy and B, he brought a mature approach to the profession. And if he's doing that, good for him. And then if he can stay healthy, hopefully we'll see 
the Chase Young we saw at the end of his rookie year. As we all know, so many things are about to happen with the Commanders. I mean, September through January for every NFL team is this ultra event-filled time, and there are so many twists and turns. But bottom line, five months from now, is Ron Rivera still the team's head coach, or is he no longer the team's head coach? No longer. Those are the odds, I think, because... Even if they are a competitive team, and I think they should be a competitive team, you know, a team that wins enough games to be in the hunt in a tough division, at least the way it looks like now, um, I think he's got to win double-digit games and win a playoff game. And, I, you know, I don't think that'll happen. You know, he, I think they'll be in it and have a chance. But, they're, you know, Philly and Dallas, and I actually think the Giants are all better teams with answers at the most important position on the field and that's something that Washington doesn't have as of today maybe we'll think two months from now much differently but I think the chances are that he's not here um and I would bet on that I don't disagree and ultimately it may not matter what the team does this coming season if Josh Harris doesn't view Ron Rivera as the guy who Josh wants as the team's head coach moving forward. Like, if Josh wants a head coach with primarily an offensive background and or wants a younger head coach and or wants a head coach who's big into analytics, then even if Ron has a good season, he might be out. I think that Ron's future with the team may be more about what Josh wants than how the team does in the 2023 season. I think that's I think that may be the most important point because we know that that Josh Harris is big on analytics and big on those kinds of guys the Yankees and the the Maury's of the that's at all. You know, he's old school. Um, so uh, if it if it's not a slam dunk, you know, 11 wins, a playoff win, a close divisional round loss kind of a thing. I'm with you. Uh, I just think that, you know, he paid $6 billion for the team and, you know, it's going to be a Mike Malarkey situation, even if they go to the playoffs (laughs) and are competitive, because uh, I think, I think Malarkey got that team to the postseason and may have won a game and he got fired um, in Tennessee. So yeah, I'm with you. And what's notable to me anyway is how Josh Harris, since buying the team, has talked about Ron Rivera publicly. Certainly hasn't trashed him or anything like that, but has never given him some big vote of confidence and has continually talked about the 2023 season being a big season. Josh has picked his words carefully when talking about Ron. Yeah, I mean, as he should, um, but he should be supportive, which I've heard him be supportive too, because that's the right position today. You know, there are a lot of right positions today right now if you're the new owner and being supportive and giving Ron and Marty and Martin everything they need to succeed this year and, you know, focusing on the stadium and focusing on engaging with the community and all the things that they've talked about as priorities. They right now, there's a lot. I mean, the stadium alone, I mean, I, I, I we've seen we saw the press release the other day, but apparently it was just a disaster. Um, and a lot of the other things like Ron's future and Marty's future and Martin's future and Jason's future and the name, the rebrand issue, that'll happen when there's time to, 
you know, when they can actually do something about it. They couldn't do anything about Ron or Marty or Martin or Jason, you know, a month before the season started. Yeah. It's just, it was too late. Yeah. This coming off season could be wild, man, in terms of all it the change be, uh, that could be and, taken. And by the way, you know, imagine that Sam Howell's good enough to think he can be the starting quarterback. But, you know, it was an up and down year. They've got all that salary cap space and they would be now with Dan gone attractive to, you know, good front office people and a good head coach. And wouldn't that be something? Uh, We are not used to being able to say that. Kevin Sheehan, the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast and the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980. Kevin, thanks a lot. All right, Al. Thanks. All right. Well, the Commander's Week 1 game may be sold out, but if you're looking for great deals on tickets to other Commander's games, make sure that you download the Game Time app and use the promo code ALGALDI. When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the Game Time app. Game Time offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The Game Time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about Game Time is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on Game Time looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. Game Time is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. Game Time is the app for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Game Time also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with Game Time, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what you do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use this promo code, Al Galdi. You use that promo code, Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the promo code, Al Galdi, for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. <laughs> download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so the 2023 college football season now has truly gotten going. Uh, We on Saturday had season openers for Maryland, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. The Terrapins began their 2023 season and season at number five with Mike Loxley as head coach, not counting his run as Terps interim head coach in 2015 with a 38-6 win over Towson at CQ Stadium in College Park, Maryland on Saturday. The Terps won their 18th consecutive home opener and won their 12th consecutive non-conference opener. Uh, That is the uh, second longest such streak in the FBS. Towson is an FCS school. Mike Loxley actually played his college football at Towson. Uh, He was a defensive back for Towson, including being the team's defensive MVP as a senior in 1991. Uh, The Terps won the first quarter 21-0. The Terps had 449 total net yards of offense to Towson's 276. Good game for Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa. He went 22-33 for 260 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took no sacks, and he had two carries for 28 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Talia, though, did have to do a good bit of scrambling. The Terps do have a questionable offensive line, and the line was missing starting right tackle Gottlieb Ayedje. So uh, this Terps offensive line, is something to be thinking about moving forward this season. But how about the Terps defense? This game marked a third consecutive game for the Terps in which their defense did not allow a touchdown. The last time that Maryland did this, a three-game stretch in November 1976. Uh, A nice start for the Terps of their uh, step forward 2022 season, a 2022 season in which they went 8-5, their first eight-win season since going 9-4 in the 2010 season, which was Ralph Regan's final season as Terps head coach. Next up for Maryland, home to Charlotte this Saturday night at 7.30. It would have been great to see Virginia do well in its season opener, but uh, Virginia (laughs) did not do well. Uh, The Cavaliers began their 2023 season and their second season with Tony Elliott as head coach with a 49-13 loss to number 12 Tennessee at Nissan Stadium in Nashville on Saturday afternoon. The Cavs got brutalized both literally and figuratively. Uh, The Cavs' new QB1 Monmouth transfer, Tony Musket, he suffered an injured left shoulder. Uh, He went just 9-17 for just 94 yards, no touchdowns, and no interceptions. He got sacked four times. We'll see about the extent of the injury. Uh, The Cavs' backup quarterback, Anthony Calandria, uh, he went just two of seven for 12 yards, no touchdowns, and no interceptions. Also, a key defensive lineman for the Cavs, Ola Sakanmi Agunloye, uh, he suffered injuries to both knees, according to Tony Elliott uh, during his post-game press conference. So we had these injuries for the Cavs, and we had what happened in terms of the play. Uh, the Cavs had just 201 total net yards of offense to the Volunteers, 499. The Cavs allowed Tennessee quarterback Joe Milton III to go 21 of 30 for 201 yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions, and have nine carries for 33 yards and two touchdowns. And among the carries was something fierce, man. A second quarter first and goal at the seven, four-yard shotgun read option run on which Milton unleashed one of the nastiest stiff arms that you'll ever see. Milton with his right arm essentially pie-faced safety Jonas Sanker to the ground and then fell over and across him 
for extra yardage. Uh, Sanker is listed as being 6'1 and 210 pounds. Milton is listed as being 6'5 and 235 pounds. Uh, it was Milton who won uh, that matchup. Additionally, the Cavs allowed Tennessee running back Jalen Wright to have 12 carries for 115 yards. Uh, that works out two yards per carry of 9.58. It's worth noting that the Cavs defense was without two key players. Uh, Edge defender Chico Bennett Jr. did not play in the game due to a knee injury and safety. Antonio Clary did not play in the game due to a high ankle sprain. Look, this game was a very tough assignment for the Wahoos, uh, who are not coming off a good season. Uh, The Hoos in the 2022 season went just 3-7 overall, including just 1-6 in the ACC. And Then came the horrendous tragedy. Uh, Late Sunday night, November 13th, 2022, a former Virginia running back who um, will not name shot and killed three Virginia football players and shot and wounded two other Virginia students, including another Virginia football player. The three Virginia players who were killed were receiver Lavelle Davis Jr., receiver and Wisconsin transfer, Devin Chandler and linebacker slash defensive end Deshaun Perry. The Virginia player who was wounded was running back Mike Hollins, who on Saturday did lead the Hoos out of the tunnel. That was a great moment. Uh, This was Tony Elliott during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I thought the guys uh, did a great job uh, every day to get to this point. Um, it's hard to, to quantify and, and, and put into words just everything that they've had to go through uh, just to get to this point. And I thought uh, the guys showed up and had a, had a really good spirit about them, great energy, and I thought they played uh, extremely hard, you know, and they fought and they battled, and um, and that's all you can ask uh, of these guys. So uh, just to see them get a chance to play football uh, was, was the victory for me. Uh, obviously, we got a lot of work to do. I know. Uh, ultimately uh, will be judged by what the scoreboard says. But internally as a program, and I couldn't be more proud uh, of a group of young men, uh, an administration, a staff uh, that fought. Um, I mean, what, what, what we had to endure is unprecedented. And still, like, it's, it's hard to, to quantify and put into words and, and just really wrap, your, wrap your, your head around it. And for these guys to, to be able to, to make the decision to, to come back to the University of Virginia, you know, that's a, that was a tough decision uh, to, to, to come back and fight and continue to, to be a part of the program. And just to see their resilience and to see them in the locker room after this game, uh, still standing together, uh, still believing uh, in, the, uh, in the best uh, for this season, the best for this future, uh, because they believe in each other. And that's what it took. And so I'm just extremely proud of the players, the staff, the administration, and uh, all those that are, that are close to the program that supported us through this time. Well, next up for Virginia, home to James Madison this Saturday at noon. The Dukes, by the way, uh, began their 2023 season with a 38-3 win over Bucknell at Bridgeport Stadium in Harrisonburg, Virginia on Saturday evening. By the way, are you aware of who is handling kickoffs for Virginia? This guy, Matt Ganyard. Matt Ganyard is a 34-year-old Marine veteran. He joined the team as a walk-on after serving in the United States Marine Corps as a Cobra attack helicopter pilot. Uh, He received an undergraduate degree in history from UVA in 2011, (laughs) and now he is handling kickoffs for the 2023 Virginia football team. Just a tremendous story. Uh, As for Virginia Tech, the Hokies begin their 2023 season and second season with Brent Pry as head coach with a 36-17 win over Old Dominion at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday night. The Hokies at the end of the first quarter led by just a 2-0 score at the half, led by just a 16-10 score. But 
The Hokies then won the second half, 27, avenging their uh, season-opening 2017 loss at Old Dominion on September 2nd, 2022. ODU is not expected to be good this season, but the biggest bright spot for the Hokies was their passing game, which last season was woeful. Uh, The Hokies' starting quarterback again is Grant Wells. Uh, He beat out Baylor transfer Kyron Drones to win the Hokies' starting quarterback job, despite Wells having had a rough 2022 season off having transferred from Marshall. Uh, But Wells on Saturday night had a nice game. He went 17-29 to for 251 yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions. He took no sacks and he had seven carries for 27 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Kyron Drones did play in the game for a bit, but really helping Grant Wells was the Hokies trio of transfer receivers. These guys made an immediate impact. Old Dominion transfer, Ali Jennings, who transferred uh, from West Virginia to ODU, had five receptions for 72 yards and two touchdowns. Middle Tennessee State transfer, Jalen Lane, had four receptions for 69 yards and a touchdown. And Norfolk State transfer, Daquan Felton, had one reception for 34 yards. This was Brent Pride during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on the three transfer receivers, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange. You know, I think the the one advantage you have in the transfer portal is you have guys that have done it at the college level. It may not be in the ACC, but they've done it against older guys. Uh, you get a little bit better evaluation that maybe that you do off of a high school player. So uh, we certainly knew those guys could be productive for us, and they've done that, you know, in the spring, and they've done that in a preseason camp. Uh, what what did you think that did for Wells and his confidence, just being able to throw to those guys? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I think he came into the game pretty confident. Um, he's had a good camp. You know, it's like we we mentioned last year. He, he, there just wasn't a lot of support around him, and uh, I think the ability of our, our wideouts, our tight ends. I thought our line protected much better uh, to give him a chance to to be the player that he can be. Yeah, the Hokies this season have got to get better production from their passing offense than they got last season. Perhaps that's happening, but when you talk about why the Hokies in their first season with Brent Pry as head coach went just three and eight overall, including one and six in the ACC, the bad passing offense was the number one reason. Uh, a negative for Tech on Saturday night was the team's rushing offense. Uh, running backs Bashal Tutin, Malachi Thomas, and Bryce Duke combined for 32 carries for just 81 yards. Uh, that works out to a yards per carry of just 2.53. And Tech's defense had a mixed game. On the one hand, Tech held Old Dominion to just 17 points and held ODU quarterback Grant Wilson to just 3.76 yards per pass attempt, intercepted him once, and sacked him five times. But on the other hand, Tech allowed Wilson to have two touchdown passes and gave up some big runs by Wilson and others. ODU finished this game with 43 carries for 201 yards. And that includes the lost yardage on the five sacks that Wilson took. Additionally, Tech allowed ODU to go 8 of 15 on third downs. ODU came into this game with all of the quarterbacks on the team's roster having never played 
in an FBS game. Next up for Virginia Tech, home to Purdue this Saturday at noon. And also on Saturday was Liberty in its first game with Jamie Chadwell as head coach and its first game as a member of Conference USA, getting a win, a 34-24 victory over Bowling Green at Williams Stadium in Lynchburg, Virginia. Liberty uh, went with Caden Salter as its starting quarterback. He went 11-20 for 143 yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions. Took two sacks, but also was Liberty's leading rusher, 19 carries for 82 yards. Next up for Liberty, it's Conference USA opener, home to New Mexico State this Saturday evening at 6. Well, time now to talk Nationals, but before we get to what happened with the Nats over the weekend in terms of actual games, I do want to discuss something that happened with the Nats front office. Uh, We on Saturday morning learned that the Nats longtime international scouting director, Johnny DePuglia, has resigned. Uh, Johnny DePuglia had been with the Nats since October 2009. He, during his time with the Nats, had a bunch of different titles. He was the director of international operations. He was the director of Latin American operations. He was vice president of international operations. He was vice president and assistant general manager of international operations. But the bottom line is that Johnny DePuglia with the Nats played a big time role in the team signing as international free agents, the likes of outfielders Juan Soto and Victor Robles, among many others. The Nats' Latin American operations were a mess in 2009 off the Smiley Gonzalez scandal. DePuglia was brought in and helped to get the Nats' Latin American operations on track. He prior to working for the Nats, worked for the Boston Red Sox for 11 seasons, 1999 through 2009. Uh, DePuglia, in fact, was named the 2019 International Scout of the Year. Uh, This by the Scout of the Year Foundation at Major League Baseball's 2019 winter meetings. But he now is gone. Why exactly, we do not know. But we do know this. Labor Day marks two weeks since we had those reports that the Nats and president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo were close to finalizing a contract extension. Well, here we are now, two weeks later, and still no official announcement of a contract extension for Rizzo. We also, two weeks ago, what was Monday, August 20th, had multiple reports that the Nats and manager Davey Martinez had agreed on a two-year contract extension That includes a third-year option. Well, we then the very next morning got an official announcement from the Nats of the team and Davey having agreed on a multi-year contract extension. But still no official announcement regarding Mike Rizzo. And now one of his top lieutenants, longtime international scouting director Johnny DePuglia, is out. Uh, Is DePuglia being out simply part of, say, a give and take that's going on between Mike Rizzo and Nats ownership, the learners, regarding what the Nats front office is going to look like moving forward? Uh, Is DePuglia being out a sign that this Rizzo extension isn't going to get done? Uh, Mike Rizzo is under contract through this season. That's all. There's a lot here that we don't yet know. But I do know this, usually when something is reported as being close to being done, it is officially announced as being done soon thereafter. In this case, two weeks have passed, and the thing still has not been officially announced as being done. And now we have this oddly timed resignation of Johnny DePuglio. Uh, In the meantime, there is baseball being played, and uh, the baseball for the Nats right now is not going so well. Uh, The Nats just got swept 
in a four-game series against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park. Thursday night, a 6-1 loss. Friday night, an 8-5, 11-inning loss. Saturday, an 11-5 loss. Sunday afternoon, a 6-4 loss. There are two levels to what happened to the Nats over the last four games. First of all, the extent to which the Nats have been owned by the Marlins these last two seasons now is maddening. This four-game sweep of the Nats by the Marlins concluded a 2-11-2023 regular season for the Nats against the Marlins. 2-11. And and the Nats now are an inexplicable, incomprehensible 6-26 against the Marlins in regular season games since the start of the 2022 season. 6-26. Unreal. But there's also this. The Nats now have lost five consecutive games and seven of the team's last eight games. Uh, the Nats off a stretch in which they went 23-11 and 11 have gone just 1-7. and seven. Uh, They, for this regular season, are 62-76. and 76. That is the third worst record in the National League. And the Nats have the second worst run differential in the National League at minus 118. Some really bad starting pitching for the Nats in this four-game sweep to the Marlins. Very disappointing outing for Josiah Gray in this 6-4 loss on Sunday afternoon. He had been struggling. Uh, Him making this start was up in the air, but it was determined after a bullpen session on Friday that he would make the start, but the start was not good. Uh, Gray was bad for a fifth time in six starts. He lasted for just four innings. He allowed three runs in four innings, although all of the runs came in the top of the first. He gave up four hits, a solo homer, a ground rule double on a fluke defensive play, and two singles, but he issued four walks, a hit by pitch, and a wild pitch. He recorded just two strikeouts. He threw 86 pitches, 51 strikes versus 35 balls. Uh, The top of the first absolute nightmare for Josiah Gray. He allowed three runs, but the how was a much bigger deal to me than the what. Uh, Gray gave up a leadoff home run by Luis Arise to right field on an 0-2 pitch for a 1-0 Marlins lead. Gray gave up a first pitch single to right field by ex-Nat Josh Bell. Gray then gave up a one-out full count ground rule double by Jazz Chisholm Jr. on a high fly ball that center fielder Jacob Young lost in the sun and then bounced off the left field warning track and over the wall. Okay, some bad luck for Gray, but how about how he responded to that bad luck? Gray then issued three consecutive walks, and not just three consecutive walks, but three consecutive walks over a total of just 14 pitches, including back-to-back, one-out, bases-loaded walks of Jesus Sanchez and John Birdie, and Gray was visibly upset after this three-run Marlins first inning. Gray apparently yelled at Jacob Young, quote, catch the bleeping ball, end quote. Uh, Gray then got taken aside by first baseman Dominic Smith, Uh, but that was bad. That was really bad. Showing up a teammate like that, catch the bleeping ball, terrible look for Josiah Gray. Now, uh, Gray does not have a reputation for being this way, and he, after the game, uh, did express feeling bad about having said what he said, but uh, Josiah Gray is not in a good place right now. That is crystal clear. This was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on whether he liked seeing this kind of emotion from the uh, normally reserved Josiah Gray. 
I don't want to see that out there. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to come in and does that, and we talked, you know, we talked about it after the fact. Um, one, one of our veteran guys handled it as well and uh, talked to him about it. So everything's good. I mean, you know, but he he understands. Hey, um, that should be done. You know, <laughs> you know, in, in here. Or, um, but like I said, you know, um, he's, he frustration is well set. set you know, set in. Um, you just got to remember what you're doing and, and just go out there and keep competing. Yeah, Josiah Gray is a mess right now. I hate saying that, but it's the truth. Gray, over his last six starts, has an ERA of 849 and has issued a staggering 21 walks over 23 and a third innings. Uh, I hope, like heck, that Gray gets back on track because he was having such a nice season, a step-forward season, and this still could end up being a step-forward season, but he is in a real rut right now. But I tell you, Josiah Gray was far from the only Nats starting pitcher who was bad in this four-game sweep of the Nats by the Marlins. The 11-5 loss to the Marlins on Saturday, Trevor Williams was horrendous. Uh, He allowed nine runs, eight earned in four innings. He gave up 12 hits, four home runs, a double and seven singles. Among the four homers that he gave up, a two-out, three-run homer by Brian De La Cruz on a bomb to left field over the Marlins bullpen in the top of the fourth for a 9-1 Marlins lead. The homer winner projected 424 feet per stat cast. Uh, Williams did have three strikeouts versus no walks. Okay, Uh, he threw 82 pitches. He exited the game having allowed 33 home runs in this regular season, third worst total in the majors. And Williams' season really has fallen apart. He, in this 2023 regular season, has made 27 starts. He, over the first 11 starts, had an ERA of 393. You'll take that and run with it. Uh, But he, over these last 16 starts, has an ERA of 610. And that includes him having pitched well in each of his previous two starts prior to this start on Saturday. Uh, The 8-5-11 inning loss to the Marlins on Friday night. Jake Irvin, who had been pitching well, was so-so at best. He allowed three runs in five innings. Now, he only gave up four hits, a double and three singles, but he issued three walks, and he threw a lot of balls. 80 pitches, just 44 strikes versus 36 balls. And the 6-1 loss to the Marlins on Thursday night, Yoanda Doan allowed five runs in five innings. And all of this bad starting pitching, combined with Friday night's game lasting for 11 innings, led to Davey Martinez in this series having to use his bullpen a ton. And when you have to use a bullpen a ton, the bullpen is going to give stuff up. Nats relievers over the four games totaled 20 innings. And the results were not so good. Uh, Nats relievers in this series combined to allow 11 runs, 8 earned in 20 innings. Uh, The 6-4 loss on Sunday afternoon, Kyle Finnegan in the top of the ninth allowed two runs. He gave up a leadoff single by Luisa Rise to right field and a one-out single by Jake Berger to left field. Then came a crucial error, uh, a one-out throwing error by shortstop C.J. Abrams on a one-out fielder's choice grounder off the bat of Jazz Chisholm Jr. to first baseman Dominic Smith, who threw the ball to Abrams at second base for the force out, but then Abrams made a bad throw back to first for the attempted double play, and then Finnegan gave up a two-out RBI single by Brian De La Cruz on a fly ball to no man's land in right field for a 6-4 Marlins lead, although De La Cruz uh, then was tagged out in a rundown in his attempt to stretch the single into a double. But the 8-5, 11-inning loss on Friday night, the Marlins scored four runs in the top 
of the 11th. Uh, Robert Garcia in that inning faced three batters, recorded just one out. He began that top of the 11th by allowing three consecutive singles. The lone out that he got came on an outfield assist by center fielder Jacob Young. And then Mason Thompson came into the game in the top of the 11th. Runner on second, one out, and that's down 6-4. And Thompson, to the first batter he faced, gave up a one-out, two-run homer by Garrett Hempson to center field for an 8-4 Marlins lead. The homer went a projected 420 feet for StatCast. I mentioned that throwing error by C.J. Abrams on Sunday afternoon. He had a tough series. Abrams was an at starting shortstop and number one batter in each of the four games, but he went a combined one for 15 with a solo homer, a walk, and an RBI sack fly, and he committed an error in three of the four games. Abrams has cooled off big time since his great July. Uh, two bright spots for the Nats in this four-game sweep to the Marlins. The biggest bright spot by far was Lane Thomas. He had a great series. Uh, he was the Nats' starting right fielder and number two batter in each of the final three games of the series. He did not play in game one due to back tightness. He homered in each of the final three games of the series, and these were impressive home runs. Uh, the 8-5, 11-inning loss on Friday night, Thomas 3-for-5 with a solo homer, an RBI single, and another single. All three hits were leadoff hits. Thomas in an ads two-run third, a leadoff homer to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-2. That homer winner projected 430 feet per stat cast. The 11-5 loss on Saturday, Thomas 1-for-3 with a solo homer. Uh, he also had an outfield assist. Did commit a fielding error, but Thomas in an Nats 1-run 6, a leadoff homer to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 9-3 despite having been down in the count at 1.12. And the 6-4 loss on Sunday afternoon, Thomas 3-for-5 with a solo homer, an RBI single, and an infield single. And he was credited with an outfield assist. Thomas in the Nats one run first, a one out solo homer to left field on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1. The homer winner projected 431 feet per stat cast. Uh, Lane Thomas for this 2023 regular season is number one on the Nats in home runs with 23 and is number one among all qualified Nats in OPS at 818. And then another bright spot for the Nats in this series is that Davey Martinez is now going with lineups filled with recent call-ups from AAA Rochester. Uh, Jake Alou was the Nats starting left fielder in game one and was their starting second baseman in games two through four. Uh, Jacob Young was the Nats starting center fielder and number nine batter in each of the four games in this series. Carter Keeboom was the Nats starting third baseman in each of the first three games in the series. Heck, he was the Nats cleanup batter on Thursday night. And then there's this guy, Travis Blankenhorn. I love that name, Travis Blankenhorn. Uh, the Nats on Friday afternoon announced that they had selected the contract of outfielder slash infielder Travis Blankenhorn from AAA Rochester as he and reliever Amos Willingham were the Nats' first two September call-ups. This season is Blankenhorn's age 26 season. The Nats signed him to a minor league contract this past December 19th. He, this season for AAA Rochester, over 455 plate appearances, had an OPS of 877. And he was the Nats starting left fielder in each of the final three games of the series, including being the Nats cleanup batter in each of the final two games. And he homered in his first game. A Blankenhorn in the 8-5-11 inning loss on Friday night in the Nats two-run third, had a two-out solo homer to right center field to tie the game at three. The homer went a projected 423 feet for StatCast, uh, Blankenhorn got off to a uh, blanking good start <laughs> with the Nats. Uh, but I like that the Nats now 
are emphasizing even more going with younger players. This is a rebuilding team. Uh, it is worth pointing out that the likes of Alou and Young and Blankenhorn are not top-tier prospects, but let's see what the Nets might have in these guys. Uh, no game for the Nats on Monday. Yeah, no game for the Nats on Labor Day. Uh, next up for them is a two-game series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park. Game one, Tuesday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday night at 7.05. Joanna Doan will be the Nats starting pitcher. The Nats then have another off day on Thursday. So Mackenzie Gore, who currently is on the bereavement list, will not be making his next start until at least this Friday night, 10 days after his last start. But he is believed to be on a workload limit for this season. So this break uh, may well be a part of that. Not that he's not truly on bereavement leave, but uh, the idea may be take your time, you know, get yourself right, and then you can use this extra time to maybe pitch deeper into this season. The American League leading Orioles, uh, they are in the midst of their second nine-game road trip in less than a month with each road trip including multiple series out west, but the O's on this road trip are off to a two and one start. Uh, they over the weekend won two or three games at the Arizona Diamondbacks. Late night on Friday night, a 4-2 loss, but Saturday night, a 7-3 win, and Sunday, an 8-5 win to, once again, Joe Angel B in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. You are correct, Joe. The win column and the Tampa Bay Rays over the weekend lost two or three games at the Cleveland Guardians. So the O's now for this regular season are an American League best 85 and 51 and are two and a half games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. Really good job by the Orioles offense over the final two games of this series. The O's in their 8-5 win at the Diamondbacks on Sunday scored eight runs, totaled 14 hits, worked four walks, and went 5-12 for 12 with runners in scoring position. As the O's in this game got to the Diamondbacks ace, Zach Gallen. Uh, Gallen in this game allowed Five runs in five into third innings. Understand, Zach Gallen came into this game with an ERA of 332 over 28 starts in this regular season. Uh, also, the O's in their 7-3 win at the Diamondbacks on Saturday night scored seven runs, totaled 11 hits, worked one walk, and went three for eight with runners in scoring position. The O's did struggle to hit in the 4-2 loss at the Diamondbacks late night on Friday night. The O's in that game scored just two runs, totaled just eight hits, worked just one walk, struck out 10 times, and went two for 11 with runners in scoring position. And you had to shake your head at by whom the O's got worked. Diamondback starting pitcher and former Orioles prospect Zach Davies. He, in this game, allowed one run in six innings with six strikeouts versus one walk. And this was despite Davies coming into the game with an ERA of 693 <laughs> over 13 starts in this regular season. Uh, three Orioles position players especially stuck out in this series. Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, and Ryan O'Hearn. Uh, we start with Gunnar Henderson, who to me is the 
leading candidate to win American League Rookie of the Year. The 8-5 win at the Diamondbacks on Sunday. Henderson as the Orioles starting shortstop and number two batter went two for five with a two-run single and another single. He hit an Orioles two-run second, had a one-out first pitch, bases loaded two-run single through the right side of the infield for a 4-1 Orioles lead. The 4-2 loss at the Diamondbacks late night on Friday night. Henderson as the Orioles starting shortstop and number two batter, two for four with a double and a single, and he made a sensational defensive play. Bottom of the fourth, runners at the corners, one out, O's down 2-1. Henderson made a great over-the-shoulder basket catch of a pop-up by Nick Ahmed all the way in the middle of left field as opposed to, say, shallow left field. And then Henderson turned around and threw the ball to get the speedy Corbin Carroll out at home on a tag-up play. Uh, Credit to catcher Adley Rutschman, who made a terrific glove-down catch of the throw and then applied a quick tag on Carroll. But just an amazing play by Gunnar Henderson, who for this regular season is number two among all qualified Orioles players in OPS at 8.04. Adley Rutschman, he in the 8-5 win at the Diamondbacks on Sunday as the Orioles starting catcher and number one batter, one for four with a two-run double and a walk. Uh, He did get tagged out on an attempted steal of home in the top of the second, but Rutschman in an Orioles four-run six had a one-out first pitch, two-run hustle double for an 8-4 Orioles lead. This was a really unique double. It came on a grounder that went off Diamondbacks first baseman Pavin Smith and into center field, and Rutschman, who has great speed for a catcher, ended up on second base. Really good job by Adley Rutschman there. And Rutschman in the 7-3 win at the Diamondbacks on Saturday night as the Orioles starting DH and number one batter went two for five with a solo homer and an RBI single. Rutschman ended Orioles one run seventh, had a leadoff homer to right field for a 7-2 Orioles lead. The homer winner projected 400 five feet per stat cast. Adley Rutschman for this regular season is number four among all qualified Orioles players in OPS at 791. And then Ryan O'Hearn. All this guy does when he plays is produce. O'Hearn in the 8-5 win at the Diamondbacks on Sunday as the Orioles starting right fielder and number five batter. Two for five with a double and a two-run single. He did Orioles two-run first, had a two-out two-run single into right center field for a 2-0 Orioles lead. And O'Hearn in the 4-2 loss at the Diamondbacks late night on Friday night as the Orioles starting first baseman and number four batter. Two for four with an RBI double and did RBI single. Ryan O'Hearn for this regular season, 288 plate appearances and OPS of 829. Uh, the O's won two or three games at the Diamondbacks over the weekend, uh, despite only getting one truly good outing from a starting pitcher. Uh, Jack Flaherty in game three was not that good for a fourth time in five starts with the O's. Uh, he in the 8-5 win on Sunday allowed four runs in four and two-thirds innings. Now, he did have seven strikeouts versus one walk. You love that. But he gave up six hits, two solo homers, and four singles, and he issued a run-scoring wild pitch. He threw 85 pitches, 50 strikes versus 35 balls. Bottom line, Jack Flaherty now, over five starts with the O's, has an ERA of 666. He has the ERA of Satan. (laughs) Okay, not good. You don't want Satan's ERA if you're a starting pitcher. Uh, Cole Irvin, uh, he in game one was not good. 4-2 loss late night on Friday night. 
four runs in five and two-thirds innings. He gave up eight hits, two two-run homers, a double and five singles. He had four strikeouts versus one walk. He threw a lot of strikes, 88 pitches, 60 strikes versus 28 balls. However, the man who has emerged as the Orioles ace, Kyle Bradish, he in game two was good again. Uh, Bradish in the 7-3 win on Saturday night allowed two runs in six innings with six strikeouts. He gave up four hits, a double, and three singles. He did issue three walks and a hit by pitch. He threw 107 pitches, 66 strikes versus 41 balls. But Kyle Bradish, a native of Arizona, did quite well in Arizona. And Bradish now for this 2023 regular season is number five among all qualified pitchers in the majors and earned run average at 3.03. What a season Kyle Bradish is putting together. Uh, the Orioles bullpen in the team winning two or three games at the Diamondbacks over the weekend was good. Uh, Orioles relievers in the series combined to allow two runs in nine and two-thirds innings with 12 strikeouts. The 8-5 win on Sunday, four Orioles relievers combined to allow one run in four into third innings with three strikeouts. And among those four Orioles relievers, Jorge Lopez. He tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth, and he is back with the O's. The O's on Saturday afternoon announced having claimed Jorge Lopez off waivers from the Miami Marlins. Uh, It was on August 2nd, 2022, that the O's traded Lopez, who was their closer at the time, to the Minnesota Twins for four pitching prospects, including reliever Yanir Cano, who was an all-star for the O's this season, uh, and who did follow Lopez on Sunday afternoon and did give up a leadoff homer by former Oriole Kristen Walker on a 1-2 pitch in the bottom of the ninth. But back to Jorge Lopez. So he was really bad for the Twins, who traded him to the Marlins this past July 26. And then he was bad for the Marlins, who placed him on waivers. Jorge Lopez, over 69 and two-thirds regular season innings with the Twins and Marlins, allowed 43 earned runs. So you take a step back from an Orioles perspective. O's executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias traded Jorge Lopez for four pitching prospects, one of whom was Yanir Cano, who ended up being an all-star for the O's this season. And now Elias has Lopez back via waivers. (laughs) Masterclass, people. A masterclass from the great Mike Elias. Uh, But the Jorge Lopez story is a good one. The O's acquired Lopez off waivers from the Kansas City Royals in August 2020. Lopez, in the 2020 and 2021 seasons, struggled as a starting pitcher. He, in the 2021 regular season, over 25 starts, had an ERA of 635. But Lopez late in the 2021 season began pitching as a reliever, and he did well in that role. And then Lopez in the 2022 season blossomed as a reliever. He, from May 19th, 2022, through June 30th, 2022, did not allow a single earned run. He was the lone Oriole on the 2022 American League All-Star team, and now he is back with the O's. Welcome back. Jorge Lopez. Uh, Some other roster moves by the O's. Uh, They, on Sunday afternoon, did announce that they had designated reliever and former national Austin Voth for assignment. Uh, And the O's on Sunday afternoon announced having reinstated outfielder Aaron Hicks from the 10-day injured list, which he had been on since August 19th, retroactive to August 16th due to a lower back strain. Hicks was on the 10-day IL from July 25th 
to August 14th due to a left hamstring strain, but he and his return from that stint on the 10-day IL played in just one game before going back on the 10-day IL. Next up for the O's, the three-game series at the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, game one, Monday night at 9.38. Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 9.38. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday night at 9.38. Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 649. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also talk Orioles. Uh, they on Monday night at 938 have game one of a three-game series at the Los Angeles Angels. Have a great rest of your Labor Day Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. What, what would you say you do here? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.